Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit." rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Clifton likes to hide my notes before I get up here. <laughs> you did the same thing last time. <laughs> Next time, I will not leave him up here. <clears throat> so the Bible is full of logic. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? In that verse, Paul gives a premise. He says, God is for us. And he gives a conclusion, therefore, who can be against us? Do you see the logic? If the all-powerful, all-sovereign God of the universe is for you, how could anybody truly be against you? There's logic in Romans 8.28, and in Romans 8.28, actually, the conclusion is presented before the premise. So Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And why? How do we know that this conclusion is true? Well, because of the premise in Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So what he's saying here is that because of the premise that God predestined his people to become like Christ, we know the conclusion that everything that is presently happening to us is working for the good of making us like Christ. That's the logic. Or how about Paul's response to his thorn in the flesh? After praying earnestly that the Lord would deliver him 
Jesus responds to Paul's prayers by saying, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's the premise. And Paul concludes and says, this is Paul's response. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Premise, Christ's power is made perfect in your weakness. Conclusion of Paul, therefore, I'm going to boast in my weakness so I get more of Christ's power. Do you see the logic? And the thing is, is when you get the logic of the Bible, it radically transforms your life. So we need to train our eyes to see it because it's everywhere in the Bible. And we need to discipline ourselves to truly understand it and live by it. And in our passage tonight, we get some of this heavenly logic. And if you leave tonight understanding it, I mean, like deep down truly understanding it, your life will be changed. Tonight, we actually see that Paul has been setting, up, uh, setting us up for this argument he's about to present. And this argument, this logic, really is the heart of Colossians. In fact, the whole book really hinges on this point he's about to make. If you remember, the Colossians was written to address false teaching that was being preached in the church, or at least spread in the church. And Paul clearly had confidence in the solidity of the Colossians' faith. We actually just read in 2.5 that he's rejoicing to see their good order and the firmness of their faith in Christ. So Paul knows that the Colossians are firm in faith, but he wrote this book to ensure that they would not be deluded or taken captive by this false teaching. And the false teaching was dangerous because it claimed that one, the Colossians needed to observe certain ceremonies or have certain visions or refrain from eating certain foods in order to advance to the next spiritual level. And two, it seems like the false teachers were saying that you needed to talk to angels or maybe even appease spiritual rulers and authorities in order to secure your salvation. Basically, they were saying that Christ was not sufficient or powerful enough to secure their salvation. So Paul spends the first chapter of the book laying the foundation for his premise. His premise that Christ is absolutely supreme and entirely sufficient, and you have received him. In our passage today, he's going to tell us the conclusion based on this premise. He's going to tell us how to logically live in light of that truth. And I want us to leave here so confident in that premise, so confident that you have received the Christ who is absolutely supreme and entirely sufficient, that you can't help but live in light of that truth. I want us to so deeply understand Paul's logic that our everyday lives, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act, are radically transformed on account of it. I want us to be a people who walk in Christ. 
That's what we're talking about tonight, walking in Christ. So let's ask the Lord for help to achieve this goal. Oh, Father, we ask now that you would give us eyes to see your word. We pray, Lord, that you would show us the glories of Christ. God, we pray that we would truly understand Paul's logic here so that our lives would be transformed, that we would live as though Christ truly is absolutely supreme and entirely sufficient as our Savior. And we pray, God, that we would leave this place as a people who walk in Christ. And we ask this for his sake and for his glory. Amen. So tonight our, our outline is really simple. First we'll look at Paul's premise. Then we'll look at Paul's conclusion. And then we'll look at four phrases that further describe that conclusion. And for my junior high boys, we could say four phrases that elaborate on that conclusion. I tend to say that word a lot, I guess. So, <clears throat> first, the premise. Let's look at Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. And that's it. That's the premise. And Paul's statement here is, is really huge. And you might not see it right away. Though if your head's been in Colossians recently, and I know for a lot of us we've had a break, so maybe it hasn't been, but if your head's been in Colossians and you've been reading the book over and over again, you see that this is a huge statement. And it's made a little bit more obvious in the Greek, actually, and it has to do with this phrase, Christ Jesus the Lord. Throughout all of Paul's letters that he wrote to all the churches, Paul uses many combinations of terms to refer to Christ. He calls him Christ. He calls him Jesus. He calls him Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ or he calls him the Lord. Many different permutations. But nowhere else in his letters does he use this exact sequence of names and articles in the Greek. Christ Jesus, the Lord. And by writing it this way, Paul is drawing attention to the fact that Jesus is the Lord. It's as though he is saying, you have received Christ Jesus, the one who is the Lord. Do you feel the weight of that? You have received Christ Jesus, the one who is the Lord. And what Paul is doing here is he's forcing his readers to go back in their minds and think about how he has described Jesus as being the Lord. And this statement really recalls everything Paul has said about Christ in chapter 1, and especially verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1. So I'd like to turn there, because we're going to look at it. Paul is saying here that you have received Christ Jesus, the Savior who, verse 15 is the image of the invisible God. Or we could go back to verse 13 and see that he is the beloved son of God who rules a kingdom that's in contrast to the domain of darkness. He's saying that this savior is the king who is God's beloved son. He's God 
He makes God visible. To see Christ is to see God, and you have received him. Verse 15 also says that he is the firstborn of all creation. He's the one who has first place over everything in all creation. And verse 16 tells us why. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he's the creator and the sustainer of every single creature, of every single thing that exists. The grass, the sun, the billions of sun in every galaxy that we see in the night sky or that we even know about. Every ant, every fish, every beast of the earth. Every human being, great or small, ruler or peasant, every demon, every angel, Jesus created and sustains them all. They exist because of him, and they continue to exist because of him. And therefore, he has first place over them all, because he is the Lord. And you have received him. He's the Lord of the new creation as well. If you look at verse 18, it says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Or we could say that in everything he might have first place. He's first place in the new creation. He's first place in the old creation. And you have received him who has this first place in everything. And in verse 19, we see something truly amazing. It says, In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of who God is dwells in Jesus. Everything that God is, Jesus is. And you have received him. And he alone is bringing peace to the universe. If you look at verse 20, it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is bringing peace to the universe. And Paul says in verse 21 that you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Through Jesus' incarnation and his death on your behalf, you have been made a friend of God. And he did this, it says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before the Father. What does it take to stand before God on Judgment Day and be found blameless? It takes Christ Jesus the Lord. He, as verse 27 says, is your hope of glory. And you have received by faith this Savior, 
Christ Jesus, the one who is the Lord. This is Paul's premise. This is the foundation that he's been laying for his argument. And so what is his conclusion? What logically follows this premise? Let's look back at verse 6 of chapter 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him. Because you've received Christ Jesus, the one who is the Lord, Paul concludes, walk in him. Continue to live your life in him. That's what it means to walk in him. To continue to live your life in the one who is the Lord. And to walk is a Jewish metaphor that's been around for a long, long time. And it explains the way a person conducts or behaves himself. It's your daily or hourly or even minute-by-minute conduct. It's your lifestyle, your pattern of living. One commentator paraphrases it like this. He says, Let Christ and no other, for he is Lord, establish your values, guide your thinking, and direct your conduct. Close quote. And this imperative walk, walk in him, is a present imperative. It means continue to walk. Continue to walk in Christ. Paul's saying, as you have begun, so you are to continue, looking to Christ and Christ alone for all your spiritual needs. So what does walk in him look like? It looks like continuing to live your life like you've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Christ. Christ, who is the image of God, God's beloved Son. Christ, who has first place over all creation. Christ, who has absolute power over every creature in heaven and on earth. It's continuing to live your life like this Lord is your head and you are part of his body. It's continuing to live your life like your Savior and Lord is the one who is reconciling the entire universe to God. It's to live like he has taken you, a hostile enemy of God, and made you into a friend of God, providing for your redemption and giving you forgiveness of sins. Continue to live like this is true. Conduct yourself as one who has been reconciled to God through Christ. Live like Christ has given you a real heavenly hope that he is the one who is going to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before the Father. Live like this is true. Live like he alone is your hope of glory. So do you see Paul's logic here? He's saying, you've received Christ Jesus, the one who is the Lord, so continue to live in him. Let your every thought be transformed by the knowledge that your Savior is the Lord. Let your every deed be in accordance with his lordship and his power to save you. 
It would not make sense for you to do otherwise. Walking in Christ is the only way to live that makes logical sense. It would not make sense for you to receive the entirely sufficient and all-supreme Lord of the universe and then live like he's not sufficient or absolutely supreme. It would be foolish and a great dishonor to Christ. So you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And in the next verse, verse 7, Paul uses four phrases to further describe what it means to walk in Christ. And the first phrase is rooted in him, rooted in him. And in the Greek, the verb rooted is in past tense. So it could be translated, having been rooted in him. You have been rooted in Christ, past tense. If Christ is your savior, you have been rooted in him. You've been planted in Christ as a tree is planted in the soil. As your roots go down into him, he provides all the nutrients necessary for your life, your spiritual life in him. Christ is that source of your life. He is your soil, providing all the nutrients you need. And so, of course, the question would be, what would happen if you were to pull up a tree, totally uprooting it from the soil? It would die. And so would you if you were uprooted from Christ. So would you if you tried to root yourself anywhere but in the nourishing soil of Christ. So Paul's saying here, stay rooted Stay rooted in Christ. Don't go anywhere else. Stay in him. Don't look anywhere else for any spiritual things that you need. Christ supplies them all. The second phrase Paul uses is built up in him. And in the Greek, built up is in the present tense. So here it could be translated being built up in him. And what Paul's saying is that you are being built up in Christ. You've been rooted in him, and now you're being built up in him. You're growing in Christ. And notice where this building up is happening. It's happening in Christ. In Colossians 1.28, Paul says that his goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. So spiritual maturity happens in Christ. And spiritual maturity happens as we hold fast to him. If you look down at Colossians 2.19, it says that as we hold fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, we grow with a growth that is from God. So as you just hold fast to Christ, you're being built up in him. You're maturing. You're growing. You don't need to do special things in order to grow. For the Colossians, you don't need to follow these special ceremonies in order to grow. You don't have to abstain from these particular foods to grow. Just keep holding fast to Christ. He's going to make you grow. So hold fast to him and continue to allow yourself to be built up in him. The third phrase Paul uses to describe walking in Christ is established in the faith, just as you were taught. 
established in the faith just as you were taught. So this again is in the present tense. You are being established in the faith. You are continually being made firm in the faith that you were taught. This is the faith that says that Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, is reconciling sinners to God the Father. He made this possible by taking on human flesh and dying in the place of sinners. It's the faith that says that he was resurrected on the third day so that forgiven sinners could be resurrected with him to live with him forever in glory. This is the faith you were taught. This is the faith the Colossians were taught. Paul calls it in Colossians 1.5, the word of truth. In Colossians 1.6, it says it's the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. This gospel is bearing fruit and increasing for everybody. It does the same thing. When the gospel is spread, it bears fruit because it's the power of God. So Colossians, in Colossians 1.26, Paul describes it as the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. There's no secret knowledge that you need to know. And that's something that it seems like the Colossians were dealing with, is that the false teachers were saying, you need this secret knowledge. And Paul's saying, no, Colossians, you have the word of God fully known. It's been made fully known. And especially in this age, it, there might have been parts that were hidden, but now we see Christ in all of his glory, God's plan of redemption unfolding before your very eyes. You have the word of God fully known. You don't need to look anywhere else for more revelation about God. You have it. You have it right here. It's amazing. Everything you need to know about God is right here. You're holding it in your hands. So keep being established in this faith. Keep learning, keep growing, keep growing in your understanding of this faith, just as you were taught. And the last phrase Paul uses to describe walking in Christ is abounding in thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is a theme in Colossians. Paul commands the Colossians to give thanks six times in this letter. And I think we've seen two of them so far. And this is not counting when he is praying and giving thanks for the Colossians. If we added that, it'd be seven times. So why is Thanksgiving a theme? How is abounding in Thanksgiving walking in Christ? Well, think about it. You've received everything necessary for spiritual life and growth in Christ. You don't need anything else. You've received everything because Christ is absolutely supreme and entirely sufficient as Lord. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So you lack nothing. You've been given every spiritual blessing there is. And a heart that knows this overflows with thanksgiving. A heart that knows that it's received everything it could ever need overflows with thanksgiving. But the, the problem is, is our hearts 
often don't overflow with thanksgiving. And at least mine doesn't. And I think I've learned in the last month why Paul is telling us to give thanks is is part of walking in Christ. As I've struggled with giving thanks and tried to put it into practice, it's helped me to see that as I give thanks, I come to appreciate all the blessings I have in Christ. So if I say, thank you, God, for sending me your son, sending him to this earth in a human body, and putting him to death in my place so that you could reconcile me, a hostile enemy, to yourself, if I'm praying that and I'm just meditating on that and thanking God for it, I'm not going to go looking elsewhere for a a way for me to be reconciled. I'm not going to feel like, oh, I'm still an enemy of God. I need to, I've sinned against him and now I need to do really good for a while before he'll even look at me. No, I'll be like, I know that Christ, because of Christ, I've been reconciled to God. I have direct access to him. God only sees me as a friend now. And so if I'm doing that, I'll be walking in Christ. I'll be trusting in him for every single need that I have. I'll be looking at him as my absolute supreme Lord and my absolutely sufficient Savior. So Paul commands us to be abounding in thanksgiving. So practice giving thanks for all that Christ is for you. And this is really the only proper response to having received Christ Jesus the Lord, because in him we've received everything. So in times when you know how much you have in Christ, and when you're like really sensing the greatness of his power and his sufficiency for you, give thanks. And when you're struggling and forgetting how great the Lord whom you've received truly is, give thanks and you'll find yourself walking in Christ before long. So before I close, I I wanted to share some ways that I've been learning to walk in Christ. Because it's such a broad idea, walk in Christ. It's, you know, live your life in him. It's It's so big and general. I just wanted to give you guys some ideas of, of how to walk in Christ, more than what I've already said, but ways that the Lord's been helping me to walk in Christ. And I kind of already shared one of them, and that's, and the Lord's really been helping me with it ever since I preached the last message about being reconciled to God. And so I've, I've realized after studying that passage that really there is nothing that separates me from God, ever. And of course, this is something that I already knew, but it, it just became more real to me as I spent so much time studying about how Christ, when I was an enemy, enemy in mind wanting nothing to do with God, Christ reconciled me to God. And it has nothing to do with me or what I did that I was reconciled to God. It has everything to do with Christ and what he did. And so now I remind myself when I sin that I don't need to pay penance. I don't have to like be like, oh, like I messed up. Like God doesn't want me to come and pray to him now. Like he doesn't want me to seek forgiveness. I got to like, I got to try harder first. 
Like, I got to show them that I really mean it. You know, no, like, I know I've been reconciled to God, and I thank God, thank you, Lord, for sending me Jesus, who has reconciled me to you. And that's it. And then it's like, I, I know I have fellowship with God. So I would encourage you, if that's something you struggle with, just remind yourself, I've been reconciled to God through Christ, and give thanks for it. And you'll find the, that joy of your salvation restored again. Another thing the Lord's been helping me with is giving thanks. And to be honest, this is something I'm really, really terrible, <laughs> terrible at, uh, giving thanks. And it's probably why I've, I've found that I struggle with covetousness. Um, I, so I've, I've just found, especially um, in the last month, that like I see a pattern in my life that I go from obsessing over wanting one thing and whether I get it or not, like, it'll kind of fizzle out. And then I'll want something else. And I'll want it a lot, like, to the point of idolatry, where it's like, I'm spending way too much time thinking about this. I'm spending way too much time looking at reviews. I'm going deep into the Reddit reviews. You know, I'm not just looking at the Amazon reviews. I'm into Reddit, like, looking at what everybody's saying on there. Like, yeah, it's just, it gets really bad. And I sacrifice all sorts of time that maybe I devoted to the Lord for prayer at night, and I'm like still reading reviews, and I'm like, this is so important. Um, and my heart just gets so divided, where I'm, I'm I, yeah, I love the Lord, but I, I love this thing, you know? And, um, and so at first, as I'm struggling with this, and even struggling with covetousness, as I'm trying to write this sermon, to be honest with you, um, a few weeks ago before Christmas, and, um, and I'm just feeling guilty. I'm like, here I am. I'm supposed to preach on the all-sufficiency of Christ. I'm, I'm thinking about passages like Colossians 2, 3, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And here I am thinking that like there are other treasures to be had that are somehow rival to Christ. And I'd rather spend my time thinking about those things than the treasures of Christ in his word. So I'm just like feeling guilty. And then I started disciplining myself to give thanks because I'm like, I'm going to be preaching a message where I'm going to be telling everybody to give thanks, to be abounding in it. I better be practicing what I preach. And so I started practicing giving thanks. And I just started thanking God for a, a bunch of the things that I saw uh, in Colossians. I started thanking God for giving me all these riches in Christ in Colossians. And, you know, thanking God for giving me reconciliation, thanking God for giving me forgiveness of sins, for delivering me from the domain of darkness and transferring me to the kingdom of his beloved son, thanking God for giving me an eternal inheritance with the saints in light, that he qualified me for it. And as I did this, as I was just thanking God day after day, like at first, like my heart's still icy cold, right? but I'm like disciplining myself. But as time went on, like I was just like praising God for all of these riches that I have in Christ. And that thing that I was idolizing, like I didn't even care about it anymore. I didn't care. Like actually I was like kind of disgusted with the whole thing and I'm like, why am I spending so much time with this? Like Jesus is so much better. 
So those things that had gripped my heart had really lost their hold, and what my heart became gripped with was Christ. And so by doing that, by abounding in thanksgiving like that, I found myself walking in Christ. And the third way I've been learning to walk in Christ is by struggling with the energy that Christ supplies. If you remember that verse from Colossians 1.28, it says, Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And as I was preparing the sermon, I was like, this is what I want. I want to proclaim Christ so that you can become mature. Like, I just want to, I want to, I want to preach Christ. I want to preach his excellency. I want to teach about him. I want to warn about him with all wisdom so that you guys can grow. And I'm like, God, do the same thing in me that you did in Paul. Like, Jesus, give me your power so that I can work and like actually understand what's going on here and be able to communicate it to you so that you guys could grow. And I, as I've, I was struggling at certain parts in writing this sermon, and I would start praying this. I'm like, Jesus, help me. Like, give me this power that you gave to Paul, that he would toil with the energy that you powerfully worked in him. Like, do the same thing in me. And like, knowing that Christ was supplying me energy, literally, like, I was given energy from Christ to keep going and to have something to present to you tonight. It was because of the energy that Christ worked in me. And so as you try to share Christ with your friends or maybe with one of your siblings, you can pray the same thing. Like, Lord, like, this is hard. <laughs> and Paul says it's toil, right? For this I toil. This is hard, but Lord, provide me the strength, provide me the power so that I can proclaim Christ and that people can become mature in him. And he'll do it. And the fourth way I've been learning to walk in Christ is by reminding myself of Christ's absolute authority. And that's because I battle fear. Pretty much every day, I battle fear. Um, the fear of man, worrying about what other people think or worrying that I'm going to mess up. Um, and Colossians makes it clear that Christ is the head of all rule and authority. And as we learn tonight, we've received him, the one who is the head of all rule and authority. He's the one who created all things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, you think power, right? Dominions, rulers, or authorities. All these things were created through Christ and for Christ. And if I have been reconciled to God through Christ, like if Christ is on my side, why should I fear? Why should I fear any of these lesser powers or rulers or authorities or just people that he created? And so as I was just meditating on these things, it really does strip fear of its power when you know that the all-supreme Lord is on your side. So I've been trying to, to live, to walk, like I've received this one who is the head of all rule and authority. And the Lord has greatly helped me. So I want to close with a question for you guys. 
And the question is, have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? And if you have, walk in him. It's the only way to live that makes sense. You've received the one who is the Lord, so live your life in him. Stay rooted in him. Live your life in complete dependence on the supremacy and sufficiency of your Savior. He's your source of life. Stay rooted in him and continue to be built up in him. You've been given everything that you need to grow in Christ. Just hold fast to him and you're going to grow. Don't look anywhere else for your growth. Just keep looking to Christ. Continue to be established in the faith just as you were taught. Remember, this is the word of the truth. This is the word of God made fully known. You have all the revelation that you need. Be firm in it. Continue to learn and grow in this truth. And be abounding in thanksgiving. This is the only proper response to having received Christ Jesus the Lord. And this is how you keep yourself from being deluded that there's more to be had outside of Christ. He's all you need. Give thanks. You've received him. And if you haven't received Christ Jesus the Lord, receive him today. Because he is absolutely supreme. And he is an entirely sufficient savior. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you, God. We have nothing to say but thank you for giving us your son, who is the exact savior that we need. Lord, when we were a hostile enemy to you, you reconciled us to yourself through him, through the sovereign ruler of all, Jesus Christ the Lord. And God, we pray that we would have greater minds, uh, greater understanding in our minds to, to grasp the bigness of the Savior we've received and walk in him, Lord. May we see him, that he is absolutely sufficient. He is absolutely supreme, and we don't need to look anywhere else. May we hold fast to him, and Lord, would you cause us to grow and become mature in Christ. We pray this for his sake. Amen. So I have a couple discussion questions for us as we break up into our small groups. So you guys can write them down um, in your notes. And the first one is, what are some aspects of Christ that are particularly exciting to you right now? Maybe it's something that you've been thinking about for the last week or month, or maybe it's something that just stood out to you in this sermon tonight. But what are some aspects of Christ that are particularly exciting to you right now? Question two, what are some ways you've been learning to walk in Christ? So perhaps before tonight you didn't really understand what that means to walk in Christ, but now that you've heard a whole sermon on it, you can think like, oh yeah, like I've been learning to walk in Christ by trusting that he's truly reconciled me, you know? Um, and you can kind of just get a gauge and a feel for how you've been learning to walk in Christ recently. And the last question 
For some of you, might have the same answer as question two, and that's okay. But for some of you, it might be different. What are some ways that you need to grow in walking in Christ? What are some ways where you're like, I'm not living like Christ is absolutely supreme and entirely sufficient? And so what are those ways where you need to learn to order your life so that you're actually walking in Christ? And that's it. Those are the questions. Do I need to repeat any? No? All right. Thank you, guys. You guys can break up into your small groups. I think we'll be in our usual places. All right. I'm kind of envious of the uh, people that get to meet in the cool room up there now. <laughs> All right. Break. Break.